Welcome to the Exam Room Rambles Podcast, where veterinarian Dr. Tracy Westergaard shares the same tips, opinions, and explanations she gives you in the exam room, only without barking dogs or hissing cats. We're really glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Exam Room Rambles. So today I am going to actually turn one of our hold messages into a podcast. (laughs) That seems kind of backwards, but we do hold messages that are educational at the clinic, and we're doing one right now on allergies, and the information is really relevant. So I don't necessarily want y'all to have to call the clinic and ask to be left on hold for five minutes. So this is regarding seasonal allergies, specifically inhaled seasonal allergies. So this is something that we see in so many pets. Now, this particular podcast is not to cover all the ins and outs. It's simply to give you a couple key points of things that you can do to keep your pet more comfortable if it suffers from allergies. So my first disclaimer is going to be, There are dog and cat dermatologists out there, honestly, dermatologists that work on horses and sheep and cows too, animal dermatologists. And we do have some here in Minnesota. You're going to have to travel to the cities or to St. Cloud to see one. But if you would like to see a dermatologist, we can get you there. So the first thing that I want to stress is that there is no cure for allergies. Our goal is to control them and keep them comfortable with the understanding that there are certain times a year that that's going to be more challenging, specifically spring and fall. And unfortunately, there is just no one single thing we can do to make allergies better. It usually is a multimodal approach. And for some animals, it's not just seasonal, it's year round. So it's really important that we come at allergies from several different directions. So the first thing, um, I don't want to say the most important thing, but probably just a simple blanket recommendation that I'm not going to get in trouble for is all allergic dogs, whether it's food allergy or inhaled allergy, need to be on an isoxazoline ectoparasite prevention. Yeah, that sounds kind of big and bad, but it's not. Isoxazolines are the chewable ectoparasite control. I hate to just say flea and tick because that's not just what they do. In fact, that's probably one of their least important functions. Very important, but for an allergic dog, they are susceptible to so many other creepy crawlies that we can't see with the naked eye, some of which are natural inhabitants that just overgrow and these oral flea and tick meds help keep them in check. One example is Demodex. The other thing is dogs and cats that have allergies, they don't have a normal skin barrier. So your non-allergic dog could get bit by a flea and it's not the same as being infested with flea. It's just getting bit by a random flyby flea. It's like us getting bit by a mosquito. Like, yeah, it's going to itch and then it's over with in a couple of hours. But allergic dogs, that can set off a chain of reaction that makes them itchier, they self-traumatize, they damage their skin, which is already inflamed, and it's a slippery slope. So we just can't risk it. There's been a lot of bad press about the isoxazoline and seizure disorder in dogs. And I just want to say that, I'm not going to address it in this podcast, 
If you have a dog that has a seizure disorder or you have an at-risk breed like boxers and some of those other dogs, talk with your veterinarian about the isoxazolines. We still recommend isoxazolines for all animals, all dogs in our practice, period. Um, The health benefits outweigh the risk and we have not had any problem using isoxazolines in any of our epileptic patients. So... Brevecto, Nexgard, Sempericatrio, Cordelio, there's a couple others on the market, but those are the ones that we carry at the clinic, specifically Brevecto, Nexgard, Sempericatrio. Those are kind of our three favorites. Frontline is not in this class of drugs. Frontline is not going to do anything for Edematex and dumb. Honestly, the way that it works going into the um, sebum gland and the way it's distributed, if your pet has a faulty skin barrier and that whole system is not working, Frontline's not going to be a great choice of drug regardless. So even if you don't see fleas and ticks, it's super important. Did I say you have to give those drugs with a meal? If I didn't, I'm telling you now, super important to give your Brevecto, your Nexgard, and your Semperico with a meal. Second thing that I think I can blanketly recommend for all allergic patients is frequent bathing. Now, bathing serves two purposes. First off, it is it mechanically removes pollen that your pet is reacting to. So um, pollen is microscopic. It's everywhere, even inside of our homes, in my closet right now (laughs) where I'm podcasting. Pollen is everywhere. And animals are pollinators, just like butterflies and bees. We're pollinators too. We just take showers every day. We wash that pollen off of us. So the pollen isn't causing like a contact dermatitis. It's not the pollen physically touching the skin. It's the fact that we breathe it in. And and I say we, yeah, I guess I'm talking about myself. I've got some allergies. But when your pet breathes that pollen in, it's setting off a faulty and overreactive immune system and then an inflammatory cascade. So it is triggering an overreaction in that immune system. So second, um, there's also medicated shampoos. Now these serve a different purpose. Yes, they do wash the pollen off, but they can also disinfect the skin. Now that's the big one we use, the like uh, aketoconazole chlorhexidine shampoo. Um, There are a ton of other ingredients in shampoos. I'm not going to go over them all now, but that would be a great podcast, wouldn't it? Is dogs and cat shampoos. But just know we use them a lot of times to disinfect skin when there's an active infection. Sometimes for certain skin conditions like seborrhea, we want to dry the skin out. The other thing is some of the newer shampoos have certain ingredients in them that are going to actually help restore that natural barrier system. It's ceramides and lipids and all sorts of good things. So The other thing I want to remind you is that when you use a shampoo, you don't have to have a bunch of suds, sorry. Um, You don't have to have a bunch of suds to be effective. So much of the sudsiness depends on the hardness of your water. And then you want to make sure you're not using warm water. You actually want to use cool water. Inflamed skin is usually hot and the cool water will soothe it, just as if you were to put ice on something itchy and uncomfortable on your own body. And then make sure you're using the appropriate amount of shampoo and rinsing it off. If you have got a 20-pound beagle with allergies, 
you should get more than three shampoos out of an eight ounce bottle. You don't need that much. One way to make sure you're doing is right is you can use an ice cream pail, put some water in it, put the appropriate amount of shampoo and use a wash rag to um, apply the shampoo. Almost like you were giving a baby a bath. So when you're using these medicated shampoos, it's really important that you read the instructions. Most of them have to be left on for five to 10 minutes minutes. And that can seem like a lifetime. So there are things you can do. Um, You can take your dog for a walk. It's okay if like you put on their medicated shampoo and you walk them outside. If they get dirt on their paws, no big deal because you're going to rinse them off. If their body is half dry by the time you're done with your walk, it's fine. No big deal. I know a lot of people actually do medicated shampoo with their pet in the shower while they take a shower themselves. They just turn off the water and hang out. I'm not going to judge. I think whatever works for you is fine with me. (laughs) So there are other leave-on topicals for dogs that are just not fans of shampooing. If you had a hundred pound long-haired dog, I think giving frequent baths would be very challenging. What you can do is sponge bath those dogs. So you can take a wet wash rag and wash that pollen off just like you'd wash your own face. So some of the other topicals are going to be mousses and sprays. Some of those animals really freak out. They don't like smelly stuff sprayed on them. Some dogs don't care. Just want you to know that topicals and frequent bathing are an important thing. Lots to choose from. We, if we're your veterinarian, will help guide you in which one is appropriate. And if you use a different vet, ask them. I'm sure they're going to help you. Number three, This is almost a blanket recommendation, but still check with your regular vet. Where I could see this being contraindicated would be if you have a pet that is prone to pancreatitis. So this recommendation is adding a supplemental fatty acid like fish oils. So if you're going to add a fish oil into your diet, um, it should be a pretty slow introduction, just like you would if you were going to change foods. If we immediately add in a high dose of fatty acid into your pet's diet, they can sometimes get the squirts. We carry the brand Wellactin. It's like a pump, which you can really dose accurately, and it's fish-based. Critters love the smell and the taste of it. Um, We also have like more of a soft gel, which is kind of like the people kind. It's a soft gel. And that one comes in a couple different sizes so we can dose it appropriately. That one, the the Derma 3 soft gels, also has some other vitamins in it. I think there's some vitamin E and some zinc, some skin-friendly nutraceuticals. And I am going to say it, um, you can use the human fatty acid oils that you're going to get from your chiropractor or from Walmart. But like we know, you have to make sure that those have been stored properly and shipped properly. Fatty acids can, uh, shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? Go rancid. They can go rancid like any oil. Um, And also the quality of fish that it came from is important. There's mackerel and there's other ones, but I... I don't know. I'm I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here and I don't really want to regarding like mercury and contamination um, in some of those. But I guess I'm just going to say, <laughs> boy, this is true exam room rambles because I am rambling. I'm just going to say you want good quality fish oil. 
what we sell at the vet clinic has been vetted, ha ha ha, and we trust its quality. If you're getting it from your chiropractor or a reputable source, maybe not just the Walmart, you're probably going to be okay. I should also mention that the dog dose is quite a bit higher than the human dose. I'm not going to give this dose right now because I'm in my closet and not at work, so I don't know it off the top of my head. But I do know they need more. So your average like 60 pound dog is going to actually take what like an adult human would take. So all right, I'm going to give a fourth blanket recommendation for any dog with allergies. And this is consider a diet change. Now this is something you might want to involve your veterinarian with. Um, But there are two different types of food used for allergies, and they're very different. So the first one is actually like a hypoallergenic food, and that may not necessarily be what your pet needs if it has inhaled allergies. With that said, when pets have allergies, often they have sensitivity to food and inhaled allergens, so your pet maybe would benefit for it. But really, um, a hypoallergenic food isn't going to change the reaction to pollen, These tend to be novel protein and novel carbohydrates. So like bison and whitefish, duck and potato. There's like a kangaroo diet out there and I'm not making that up. The newest ones are actually hydrolyzed, which means the proteins are broken down into individual amino acids and no longer associated with a specific protein source like a beef or a chicken. So they are completely pre-digested into small enough particles that they are not anagenic. So these type of diets, um, the hypoallergenic and the hydrolyzed, they are ridiculously expensive. Um, That doesn't mean they're not super useful and might actually be what your pet needs and could save you a lot of money in the long run. I'm just setting you up to know that they are expensive. So if you are going to do them, it is super important that you are feeding it strictly. If you're feeding a $100 bag of Ultimino, you're not going to be wanting to feed your pet table scraps, or if you have a bunch of toddlers that think it's fun to throw food off of their high chair at the dog, it's probably not the best fit for your household. So just know that um, it's really challenging to do some of these feed trials. I personally could never. So I wouldn't even try. But what I would do is a second type of food, and these are actually some of the newer diets, and they're like a dermatological diet. I think science diet is called Derm Defense. I honestly can't keep up with all the different names from the different brands. But basically, it is souped up to have all the things, as far as ingredients, that are going to really promote healthy skin. So they already have the fatty acids in it, your zinc, your vitamins, your antioxidants. And I know you're thinking, well, Tracy, why don't they just put this in every dog food? They can't put everything in every dog food or every dog food would have so many ingredients that it would all be so expensive. (laughs) So just know that there's a lot of promise in these dermatological foods, and they are going to be appropriate for a dog with inhaled allergies because they're building up the skin's natural defense mechanism, and they're helping the immune system to like chill out a little bit. There is one company, they're actually the same company that makes the Wellactin fatty acid, um, Nutramax. They make Dosequin, the joint supplement that you might be familiar with. They have got an allergy supplement also for people that want to feed their regular dog food, but still want all those extra vitamins and minerals and ingredients that help the natural skin barrier. 
So, and I'm sorry, I don't know the name of that off the top of my head. I just know Nutramax makes it. There's so much I don't know when I'm at home in my closet. So here is a another recommendation that I'm not going to give. Actually, this is the first recommendation I'm not going to give. And that's that you use an over-the-counter antihistamine. We get people asking about this every day. And honestly, they don't always like to hear our answer. So sometimes we give them the dose and um, we tell them, good luck, it's probably not going to work. And people try it and they dose their dog and they are repeatedly disappointed. Allergy symptoms that we see in our pets are not driven by histamine. They're driven by cytokines. This is why your Zyrtec, your Benadryl, it just doesn't work. Now, some people are underdosing them, um, but even the people who are dosing them appropriately, which is a milligram per pound. Now, there is a time and a place for them. Insect allergies, hell yes. Um, Histamine reactions, like with mast cell tumors or um, with some GI upset, upset, absolutely. There is a time and a place. And we do use antihistamines prior to pets that have had vaccine reactions and prior to different chemotherapy administrations. Just know that for your good old ragweed goldenrod allergy, Benadryl's not going to do much. So... What do we have for drug options? Um, We have some. They're prescription, though, and your pet might be on these already. And if they're not, you probably need to make an appointment so we can talk about those. I'm going to mention them real quick here, and that's going to be your Apoquil for dogs. It's off-label for cats. Um, Steroids like prednisone and dexamethasone, Medrol pills. And then one of the newer ones is injectable biologics. And these are actually dork working directly to stop those cytokine pathways. So the one that we use is Cytopoint, and um, it's pretty awesome. One shot lasts for about a month. Keep the itch under control. So that pretty much wraps up my blanket recommendations that I am going to give to anybody with a dog that has allergies or we suspect has allergies. Now, are there other recommendations that we give that are patient-specific, especially if they have secondary skin infections and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. But that's on an individual basis and something that we will actually talk about in the exam room. But those things, the isoxazoline, the frequent bathing, the supplemental fatty acids, the special food, and the not giving Benadryl are all things I feel really comfortable letting the whole world know on a podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you have questions, concerns, ideas for the podcast, you are welcome to reach out to me at the Marshall Animal Clinic. 507-537-1537 or by email at examroomrambles at gmail.com. You can also visit our Marshall Animal Clinic website, www.marshallanimalclinic.com. Thanks.